You're listening to the Off the Line Soccer Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Off the Line Soccer Podcast. My name's Jack. Today I'm joined, as always, by Jake and Aiden. How are you guys doing today? Hi, Jack. I'm doing good. Just the same as usual, keeping busy, watching a lot of games, and and nothing nothing really special other than that. Um, so, yeah, I'll keep it short this time. Aiden, how are you doing? Yeah, nothing new, really. Just reading week is over now, so back to school. And I'm glad that the games are ending. I, I like a little bit of a break from watching on the weekend, so a lot of people don't like it, but I'm glad international break is here just so I can focus more on schoolwork on the weekends instead of watching so many games. How are you, Jack? I'm good, and I agree with you. Uh, I needed a break in the Premier League because Everton obviously just can't win any games no matter what, so it's good to get a little break here and regroup after. Um, We'll start off with the biggest game of the weekend, which we didn't do a preview for last time out because I thought that it was – a game that was going to take place after the international break. And that's Manchester city playing Liverpool in what is one of the biggest games of the season. So that's definitely uh, my fault that I didn't check the schedule again, but uh, it played out as a one, one draw Gabriel Jesus scoring uh, an equalizer after Mohamed Salah getting uh, a nice little penalty for Liverpool in the 13th minute. But what did you guys think about this one? Yeah, just first of all, I thought in the first half it was a really, really good game. It was looking promising for, for the whole the whole ninety minutes, but the second half really disappointed for me. I don't know if I was uh, alone in that sense. I don't think so, but um, <clears throat> on on, and I think that could have been perhaps maybe because De Bruyne missed his penalty. If he wouldn't have missed a penalty, I think we would have had like lots of pressure from Liverpool in the second half, and some counters from City, and the game would have kind of been played out differently, but. It's not the way the game works. Um, but first of all, I just thought it was interesting to see that Liverpool started in a 4-2-3-1 formation with Firmino and uh, Jota uh, playing on the right, I think, and Salah moved up top. It was just just Klopp saying uh, he didn't have to choose between one of them. He could just fit them both in together, and fair enough. I mean, it's a lineup that's much more exciting than having a, a midfield three of Wijnaldum, Henderson, and Milner, I think, was the one who was available. So um, definitely worked for me. I was excited to see it. it. It kind of worked well early on. I think Firmino had a chance in the first minute um, that he missed. Uh, Mane had a header not long after that. Liverpool really started on top, uh, and they had a lot of space early on, something that I noticed in between uh, City's defense and midfield. They, were, they just had a lot of space to operate in. Uh, eventually, that, that led to the goal, of course. It was like like I said, it was, a, it was really an action-packed start, so I was happy. And... Um, something that we usually attribute to Liverpool, maybe in the past, not as much now, but still um, city were vulnerable when Liverpool put them under pressure and they were, they were being attacked quickly and directly. So that really caused city's defenders some problems. And uh, of course, like Jack mentioned, Salah scored a penalty after Walker fouled Sadio Mane. Um, it, w- it was a, a dumb challenge to make. He wasn't winning the ball. I wouldn't quite go to Roy Keane levels and call Walker an idiot, but <laughs> Uh, but we know Roy is strong with his opinions. Um, I just think it was a dumb play. So, I mean, Walker has done it before, but still. Um, it, Yeah, I think it was still a penalty, just the, the usual exaggeration, which we talked about last week, so we're not going to get into it again. 
Um, so yeah, Salah's fifth penalty goal for the season. Uh, he's scored eight times this season. Five, five of them are penalties, but uh, so that's okay. That's good for him, I suppose. He's scoring them. Uh, like like Jack mentioned, also uh, Gabriel Jesus scored. Uh, I think to be honest, it was a very lucky first touch. I don't think he meant he meant it at all. Um, but again, his reaction after that was great, just to put the ball away in the back of the net uh, before Allison really had time to react and, and come close him down. So that was good. Uh, after that, City really began like imposing themselves on the game. It took a while, which is not something we're usually used to, but it did come eventually. Uh, like we said, a penalty for City too. De Bruyne missing uh, a handball from Joe Gomez. I think there was lots of debate around this one, which is kind of surprising for me. I thought it was nailed on a penalty. And it was pretty much exactly what happened in the game earlier on uh, that day when uh, Max Kilman gave away a penalty against Leicester and Jamie Vardy scored and Leicester won 1-0. It was almost identical. So I really don't think there was much debate over it, especially with the handball rule as it is right now. Um, and yeah, just going on about that, I think Joe Gomez actually had a lot of time to get to get himself out of the way. He kind of jumped and turned into the ball, uh, not on purpose, obviously, but he he definitely did not try and evade it. Um, and like I've mentioned before, Joe Gomez does does have a mistake in him at this point, not not to come on too strong on him, but yeah, he still has some ironing out to do, I suppose, on his defending or his body shape or whatever it would be. Um, and yeah, Kevin De Bruyne missing, like I've mentioned a couple times already. Uh, not sure if that was due to the rain or the weather or just him trying to place it too much in the corner and just missing it a little bit. Um, but yeah, it came back to cost it in the end. Uh, you could say it, it, it lost some two points um, that they, they really could have used. And yeah, like I mentioned, the second half wasn't very good. Probably the, the main talking point was uh, Trent get going off injured. He's out now for four weeks uh, with a strained calf muscle, which obviously led to a lot of debate after the game about uh, the top managers like Solskjaer, Lampard, Klopp, and Guardiola really asking for five substitutions to be reintroduced uh, for, the, for the rest of the season due to the demand on the players. But uh, we're not sure if that's going to happen or not. Um, and yeah, so there's not much else to say. The second half was really kind of drab and dull. And really, the, the main thing I took from this game was uh, it was something I read afterwards was that City now it's five Premier League games for them without scoring more than one goal in any of them, which is obviously the first time they've done that since I think it was 2011 or 2014. I can't quite remember, uh, but it's definitely not something you associate with with uh, Guardiola's teams. You associate them with high scoring. Uh, we've seen them win 6-0, 7-0, 8-0 versus Watford's and stuff in the past. So kind of worrying there for City. They just look like they're kind of toothless going forward, but I suppose that they're going to try everything in their power to fix that. And uh, yeah, I don't really have much else to say about this game. Uh, Aiden, do you think anything about this one? Yeah, you definitely covered a lot of it. So I won't, I won't talk for too long. Just uh, I think that Liverpool would be more happy getting a point just based on the fact that they didn't have Van Dyke. Obviously he won't be there for the whole season, but I thought that City would be able to get at them. And since they were only playing two in midfield kind of thing, I thought that would, would help out City, maybe a bit more space. But I guess it didn't happen. And, yeah, you basically covered everything. I don't really have any different opinions. I think that's – I think it was 2011, though, uh, for the one that you said. But, no, I don't really have anything to add. The second half 
we, you and I were basically just daydreaming when we were watching it together. Yeah. Like not much was going on there. We were just talking about random stuff. But I'll just turn it over to Jack. Yeah, Jake. Yeah, I would agree. Jake covered most of it, but the main takeaway that I got from this was definitely you could see like obviously they're the two best teams in the league, but you could see how how the intensity just completely dropped off in the second half, and it was definitely due to the fact that these teams are playing midweek games and then going straight back at it a couple of days later, which we saw, like you said, Jake um, Guardiola said something about it. Klopp said something about it. And Ole said something about it. And all of them, they're 100% right. Cause you can't give players like two, three days rest, especially with the traveling as well. And then expect them to play at a hundred percent. And with like the pace of the premier league, especially against other teams who who've had a week off, but, in this one, especially, you just saw both teams really slow down. Um, and a lot of, like you said, a lot of the injuries that are going to come up and it really is unfair. And I don't know how they, they should be doing something. Else. I don't, I don't have all the answers, but I don't think it's fair. It's definitely not safe for the players to just throw them out like that. Cause they're going to get injured. Um, and this is just the start. Cause it's still pretty early on in the season. I don't know what it's going to look like around the Christmas period when there's games like game after game every couple of days for a couple of weeks at least. So uh, it's, it's, it's not the best, but yeah, uh, I think that uh, I, I would say that both teams, probably the balance of the play was probably fairly even. It really did just kind of tail off towards the end. They, they were both pretty tired, but uh, yeah, a point for each of them. And um and yeah, I don't, I don't have anything else to add to that, really. I'll move on to the first game of the week. Uh, I don't really have anything. I think we can just skip this one. Like Brighton, Burnley, nil-nil. Just every... I like I, I like Burnley. We, we all know their style, but a lot of nil-nils from them. And, and that's what you can expect. So most of the time, I'm going to be honest, I'm, I'm definitely not tuning in, but... Uh, yeah. what, what do you guys think? Just quick, yeah, if you even want to add anything, Jake. Well, I mean, all I'm going to say is we talked about Burnley's position last week, I think it was, so they'll probably be happy with a point here. Um, but, yeah, like, <laughs> other than that, not not much to say. Not not always the most entertaining games with Burnley, but that's that's why they're so effective, I guess. Aiden, do you have anything to say about this one? Just that uh, Welbeck was starting, which was cool for a United fan, I guess, to see him playing again the Premier League, but other than that, no, nothing at all. Boring. <laughs> Boring games. Yeah, we'll move on. Uh, Southampton played Newcastle and won 2-0. Two, uh, two it was a convincing win without Danny Ings. Uh, I didn't see this one, but apparently everybody said it was a Hassan Hoodle masterclass. Like he's just a very good coach, and even with their probably their most important player out injured, they're getting a tune, and and uh, in beating Newcastle, I would expect them to, but uh, do you guys have anything to add? I don't have much to add on this one, if I'm honest. Like, I would expect Southampton to beat Newcastle, but without Danny Ings, it's still impressive nonetheless. Yeah, they played well. Like you said, it's also against Newcastle, which we will take into consideration, but they did beat Everton last weekend, so they're not bad. Um, just throwing out the reminders out there. Uh, Aiden's two favorite players here scoring, Jay Adams and Stuart Armstrong. So that was nice. And yeah, they completely dominated the game. They had 61% possession. And I think they had eight or nine shots on target. Uh, I think Newcastle only had two, maybe three. So they completely dominated them. Newcastle couldn't really deal with them at all. 
which is not entirely surprising, but it's still uh, impressive from Southampton. Uh, of course, for I think for 48 hours, they were top of the Premier League. So that's a great achievement for them, especially considering about exactly a year ago, they lost 9-0 to Leicester. Um, and yeah, so just a, I know it's over a long period of time, but it's a, a nice turnaround from Southampton. And just a really good team, really fun to watch. And and I think they're they're one of the most likable teams in the Premier League. I think they haven't, I think they ha- they haven't lost in their last five, I believe. And they're up to fourth in the Premier League table. So I mean, you can't really argue with that. They're playing really, really well. Uh, Aiden, what do you think about this one? Yes, come on. You're right. My two favorite players scoring, Adams and Armstrong. And I like how Southampton have turned their season around and winning their first. Uh, I think three games on the bounce since Coleman was there in 2016, I believe. And uh, Walcott looking sharp too up front. I heard he had a good game. So that's all I have to say. Yeah, apparently it was good. I I always wanted Everton at at a point to try Walcott as a striker just to see, because he's still got enough pace to cause problems. I think the main main concern with Walcott up front is the fact that he's offside for about 95% of the game, but uh yeah good win nonetheless for Southampton and they've yeah they've turned it around really quickly and um they're probably going to continue that momentum we'll see uh, if they can continue to score goals without Danny Ings but yeah all the signs are are positive at this point so move on Crystal Palace beating Leeds 4-1 this was a this was an exciting game to watch I don't I don't want to bring up the I'll just quickly comment. I, I think I think all of us, all three of us are just when there's penalties and VAR decisions, like I'm pretty bored, even if it is super controversial, I'm pretty bored of talking about it. And like this game, especially one of the worst decisions I've ever seen, like Bamford getting a goal called offside because he's pointing to say, play me through and yeah. just pointing his run, which is absolutely <laughs> like what like, oh, I, I don't know what to say. I was so annoyed when I saw that, but other than that, Leeds, I, I said, they're just going to concede like 10 goals every single game. Like <laughs> they just don't, don't want to defend, but Palace just picking them off here on the counter tackle game. And um, uh, Barry Eze doing really well in this one. Uh, do you guys have any thoughts on this? Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to keep it short. Like you said, Eze doing well, <laughs> what a free kick. I mean, that was incredible right off the bar and in. Uh, really satisfying to watch, of course. Bar down goals are probably the most satisfying. I don't think there's much argument there. Uh, like you said, Jack Bamford's offside was was ridiculous. I mean, like you said, he's just pointing where he wants the through ball. It's not like he gained an advantage at all with that. He didn't he didn't use his arm to control it or anything. But I guess I, I guess like we said, that's the rule. But um, I wish it could change. But still, Bamford obviously, like we just said, had that goal disallowed, and he scored another really good goal afterwards too uh his chest chested down chest sorry i'm struggling here he chested the ball and he volleyed it in in one motion it was really nice um like yeah bamford's on fire um i'm not ready to to say i was wrong yet but um he's playing really well so i can't argue with that uh leads leads looked better but palace just did what palace do uh, they ended up with more shots in Leeds, which was impressive. Uh, six six shots on target compared to Leeds' is three. Uh, so they just hit them on the counter. Uh, only 35% possession, which is typically what we expect from Palace, something around there. Um, and just Leeds goalkeeper, Mesley, he looked shocking. 
shocking goalkeeping there. He got exposed, I think, what was it, for the third goal? Or maybe it was the second goal, which was a, an own goal from Helder Costa. Van Anholt crossed it. I mean, he had so much time to look at the ball. He kind of just, like, dove over it. I, it's really hard to put into words, like, what happened there. Um, yeah, sorry, Jack, were you saying something? No, no, go on. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, but, yeah, it just looked – just the ball rolled along the goal line for a long time, so he had time to get there, but – it looked like he was expecting it to go out. I I suppose I can't really have have any other explanation other than that. It wasn't great, and yeah, like Jack said, Leeds always vulnerable to conceding a bunch of goals with the way that they play. Uh, not a surprise to any of us because we've seen how they play, of course, so far. But uh, still, Bielsa losing to Roy Hodgson. Who would have thought? Um, Aiden, what'd you think about this one? Yeah, you guys covered most of it again, but I just. Leeds look much worse without Phillips. They need to buy some midfielders. I don't know. They just keep playing this Sturrick guy in midfield. And then other than that, it was just nice to see Klein playing again in the Premier League. He deserves to be on a team and not released. So nice to see Nathaniel Klein back. That's it. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, Leeds already conceding 17 goals this season. It's just they're always, like you said, Jake, they're always just I can't even. I can't even speak, and they they can always be caught out on the counter attack. And Crystal Palace kind of does play into their hands with the players that they have at their disposal. So, uh, so yeah, really really good result for Palace there. Uh, Chelsea played Sheffield United in this one. Uh, Chelsea winning four one, just really showed like Chelsea in this one. I didn't even think Sheffield United were even that bad, but Chelsea some they have some great players on that team. I was watching this just the quality of, of like Ziek and, and Werner, even Thiago Silva, even though he's like 95 years old, he's still rock solid at the back. But uh, quick thoughts on this, Jake. Yeah. First thing, first name that you said there, Ziek. This guy looks amazing. I think he got two assists this game, uh, a couple of assists in Champions League and in the previous Premier League game, he's looking like he's very, very good. Uh, of course we knew he was very good, but he's really showing it and he's adapted quite early. Uh, Chilwell getting another goal from left back not a player who I was a huge fan of to be completely honest um, but he's looking like exactly what Chelsea need at left back of course he's he's much better than Marcos Alonso and Emerson there's no argument there um, but just for Sheffield United I guess one positive the gold Rick scored again I think he's only got three Premier League goals and they're all they've all come against Chelsea so that's kind of an anomaly but kind of funny um yeah, Chelsea just r- running the score late on. They won 4 1. It was probably deserved. Uh, like Jack said, Thiago Silva scoring the 77th. And then uh, Timo Werner, it looks like he started to adapt uh, very well to this Chelsea team. Uh, and like we said, just in terms of stats, Chelsea finished the game with 71% possession, which is huge. Uh, nine shots on target, of which they scored four goals, like we mentioned, and 20 shots in total. Um, and yeah, they just. No doubt who the better team was uh, in this one. Sheffield United, again, losing. And at least he scored a goal this time. So there's, like I said, one positive take out of it. But they're looking like they're kind of in a bad position here. But we'll see. There's still a lot of time for them to turn around. Um, Aiden, what do you think about this one? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it was very good. And the squad's probably just finally starting to integrate and, and work together fit together a little bit uh, better than it was at the start of the season, even though it is still early. I'm just interested to see how the consistency after this result. Um, 
because like everyone this season, consistency seems to be an issue. And I, I would have really expected them to put a pumping on Sheffield, who have been pretty poor, in my opinion, to start the season. Um, but yeah, not really much to add. Just players that you expect to be the best players on the field are probably like the better players. So that's how it goes when you have good players, right, Jack? Usually the better players win you the game. That's what you usually say. It is true. Go on. It is, it is, it is true most of the time. Uh, yeah, they they were impressive in this one. Uh, they're up to Chelsea, up to fifth in the table now. Sheffield United still stuck right at the bottom there. Uh, West Ham played against Fulham. I didn't watch this game, but uh, Suchek, the new Fellaini, uh, scoring in the 91st minute to give West Ham a lead where they thought that they would clinch it with Fulham getting a penalty. And this, this penalty, Adam Ollookman, former Everton player who... I felt never really got a fair shot because I think he's very talented. And you guys probably saw the penalty. Yeah. This penalty, if you're if you're in Fulham's position in in the league, which is 17th spot at the moment after this game, if you're in their position in the league and you take the ball, Adam Olukman, if you take the ball off of Mitrovic, the starting striker. You have to score, especially to salvage a point. Now, it's bad if you miss. And I guess you can look at it that way. If you miss a penalty, they're all the same. Like De Bruyne's was a bad penalty miss. But if you're trying to penanka it down the middle of the goal and the keeper just catches it and stays on his line, you deserve nothing from the game. Like, that was one of the worst penalties I've ever seen in my life. But that's all I have to say about that game is why would you, like, why would you do that? Just hit it in the back of the net and you get the point. And uh, I, I don't know what to say. Jake, uh, what, what were your thoughts on that? Because I'm sure, did you even watch the game? I didn't. I was at work. And then I, when you sent me the the video clip, um, yeah, that's that's completely embarrassing. <laughs> I don't know why, why you would try that if you're like – I don't know if you're like 30 points clear at the top of the table, you're guaranteed relegation. Why not? Right. Have some fun. But at this point, like with Fulham winning only one game this season, only on four points, like you said, Jack in 17th, I don't know what went through his head, why he would even try that. I I genuinely don't know if he thought it was his best attempt of scoring or if he was trying to embarrass the goalkeeper or what, but that's, that is shocking. If I was a Fulham fan, I would be fuming. I would be ripping this guy's jersey and burning it outside. I mean, that was that was unreal. And yeah, that's all I have to say about it. Aiden, what'd you think about the penalty? Yeah, it was complete garbage and I just don't understand like I know the manager, he'd have to make a split second decision, but if I was the manager, I'd be like no, like this, this guy that's on loan isn't taking the penalty. Like my number nine, who gets all the goals, who got us here last season should be taking it. But that's just me. Uh, no, I didn't watch the game. I, I try to stay away from Fulham as much as possible. I can't stand watching their defending. It's awful. <laughs> but yeah, maybe that's why. Maybe this penalty is why like Lookman never got a look in at Everton. Maybe his mentality is just off the walls. Like I, I don't know what to say, but that was a really weird decision. Yeah, it's it, it it's weird. Like you, it's obvious when you watch him play. You can everybody can see he's talented. I just don't like, like you said, he is on loan. Mitrovic was going to take the penalty, and Lookman was very confident and just said like, "No, I'm going to take this." 
But if you're going to take it, you you better score. And well, you better score. Better go in the net. It doesn't matter how it goes in, but you better score. And to yeah. to miss in that, in that sense, like imagine going into the change, like in back into the locker room after that. Oh man! But he he will be back next game when he plays against Everton. I'm sure he'll score six goals. So I'm just not gonna I'm not gonna bash him anymore because I still think he's a very good player and I don't want him to score next week. So or uh, after the international break. So I'll leave it there. Uh, Spurs played West Brom. Harry Kane getting a late header uh, to give Spurs a 1-0 victory. Uh, I, I didn't see this game. Do you have any quick thoughts? I would expect Spurs to win this, so I don't have much to add other than, you know, Mourinho's getting a, a tune out of this team, which is which is good to see. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, Spurs again dominating 19 shots compared to to West Brom's 12, which was still decent. Um, Spurs had five shots on target, West Brom with two. Uh, Spurs did play well. Uh, it was another Mourinho performance. I mean, like like you said, it wasn't like swashbuckling or attacking like crazy or pouring men forward, but it was it was effective, got the job done. In the end, the Harry Kane goal, the 88th minute, uh, got them the result that they wanted. Um, and yeah, Spurs go up to second in the table. What do you think, Jack? Are they... Are they on course to be title challengers or no? Well, we'll see. I, I think we have to wait because if Harry Kane gets injured, I'd want to see what Mourinho does. And everybody knows Harry Kane will get injured at some point this season because he always does. But if if they even get a couple of results without Harry Kane, um, then I'm going to say yes. But I think it's still too early to call. Um, but then again, it's also kind of unfair to say if you're missing a world-class striker like Harry Kane, then – Obviously, you're going to struggle a little bit more, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, they are looking—they're looking much better so after these new signings have come in. They look like much better team than I would have expected um, before the window closed. But Aiden, what do you think? Yeah, they could, but they could. I agree with you, Harry Kane getting injured. To answer Jake's question, I guess like if they're second right now, then they're probably—they are on course to be challenging. But I don't know if they'll stay on course. Um, and part of the reason is like this game, they're still playing with two defensive midfielders against West Brom. Yeah. Uh, I know they're holding possession, but they, I don't know. They might drop points and get draws against other teams if they're playing with that. I know their fullbacks are uh, pushing on with Reggie and Doherty, but I could see them just drawing a lot of games later in the season. Yeah, I, I agree with that for sure. So you want to add something, Jake? No, I was just going to throw what I, what I want to say as – I was going to say two, it is, it is too early, but we know what Mourinho does, right? Um, couldn't, couldn't quite do it with United win the league, but finishing on 81 points in second place with the United team that he had, I think, I don't think he was lying when he said it was the greatest achievement in his career. It was honestly a, a very bad squad. He managed to, to do really well. Obviously the games, like we, like we all know, they weren't exciting to watch but they were wins. They got the job done. Uh, so I think Spurs do really have a shot. Of course, they've been in this position before. I think two seasons ago, the season where they reached the Champions League final, I think around Christmas time in November, they were in a really good position. Then they just fell off once the new year hit. Um, and like Jack said, Kane getting injured, it's not it's not guaranteed, but it's always there's always a possibility of that. Uh, and of course, that would be a big blow to them, especially this season. I think he's got seven goals and eight assists in eight games, which is like mind-blowing stats. Obviously, he's not going to keep going at that same rate, but still – uh, shows how important he is and, and Marie, to, to Mourinho and to Spurs. 
Um, but I'm going to just jump the gun slightly more. I'll say, yeah, that they will be title challengers, probably not going to win it. But I'm just excited to see if Spurs can can put another challenge up because it, it would be nice to see Spurs win a trophy after all the great teams that they've had in the, in the recent years and how close they've come. Uh, I think if, if it can't be United winning a trophy, uh, it might as well be Spurs or a, or a team like that. Yep, I agree. Also, just to just to add, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but uh, Mourinho, I don't know how recently, but uh, he's got Instagram and he's been posting on it a lot recently. Oh yeah, and it's if you don't, it's it's hilarious to watch, and he was just posting videos of him. It was good when they were losing in the Europa League, and he had like somebody just take a picture of him just staring <laughs> staring out the window, all upset yeah. on the bus. Extra running himself. and training or something. Yeah, yeah, just saying he was upset, that sort of thing. But after the after the last one he posted, and it was him like cleaning his new shoes and, and dancing, which is it's just entertaining stuff. It's just it's funny because it, it's everybody knows it's it's Mourinho, so that's gonna it is pretty funny if you if you want to check it out. I, I strongly recommend you do. Uh, but yeah, Jay, especially in this season. I still think, you know, I still think there could be an opportunity for a team that isn't in uh, European competitions to be right up there in the league. But Spurs mm-hmm. right now, they really, I'm shocked they haven't got injuries with, with their record and with their, their early season schedule with how intense it was. I thought they did, like they managed it really, really well. So uh, it's good to see. I, I do agree with you, especially with like all these injuries. You never you never know. They could. They're. I think they're going to be up there by the end of the season. But we'll we'll see. It, it'll be interesting to see. We'll have to just uh, just wait and find out. But yeah, we'll definitely find out about Tottenham pretty soon because their next couple of games are against City and Chelsea. So that'll be a, a large test of of their steel. And I wouldn't be surprised, like you said. I didn't really think about it. Europa League uh, could affect them a lot if they go far in that. It could affect their league form. Anyway, so that's all I had to add. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure I, I would think that Spurs fans would rather uh, rather them win the Europa League and qualify for Champions League that way if, if they had a choice because then they can win the trophy. Like as an Everton fan, I'd prefer to at least win something to get into Europe, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, move on now to what on paper should be a very exciting game between Leicester and Wolves. Uh, Leicester won this one 1-0 from a Jamie Vardy penalty. Uh, another controversial penalty with the handball rule, which is, I don't know, in my opinion, that's not a penalty because I'm just getting sick of tired and talking about it, but not really a penalty. The defender can't really do anything from, from that distance. But uh, it was a very even game after that. Rui Patricio um, making another penalty stop on Jamie Vardy later on in the game. But yeah, Leicester with a 1-0 victory even for the most part, two really, really good teams going at it. And if you, if you check all the stats, like 49% possession to Leicester, 51 to Wolves, uh, three shots on target for Leicester, two for Wolves. It was a, it was a pretty even game uh, from two good teams, but do you have anything else to add, Jake? No, it's like you said, it was very even. Uh, the stats were, were almost identical possession. I think it was 51, 49. I think passes, there were only about 10 passes off from having the same amount, like you said, shots and shots on target too. Uh, yeah. The penalty was the difference. I'm okay with that one giving as given as a penalty, just, just based off of the rules that we've seen this season, like his arms, not by his side, it is kind of sticking yeah. out. So I'll take it. Like you said, of course, I don't, I'm not, I don't like it, but I, I don't think that there's an argument for that one. Um, 
And yeah, Vardy, I think me and Aiden were talking about, I think he scored eight, eight of his nine goals this season, but penalties, which is kind of, man, there can't be too many stats like that. Uh, it must be pretty unique in its own right. Um, but of course, like like uh, like we were saying, uh, his his other goal was the his back heel flick against City. So he, he still got some skill in there too. He's not just a penalty merchant, uh, as we like to hear banded around towards everyone. Um but yeah, like you like you said, two two really likable teams, which is obviously it, it means nothing. But they're both like Wolves are exciting in a different way than Leicester, but they're both exciting teams in their own right. And yeah, like like you said, Leicester up to the top of the table now with eighteen points, uh, two points ahead of Spurs, and I'm sure that they'll be they'll be delighted that the position that they're in. Of course, Europa League could affect them as well with injuries like Aiden, like Aiden was mentioning uh, a couple of weeks ago, James Madison, not playing too much. Uh, he started this one, but he got subbed out. Whether that's still due to his injury from last season, who knows? Uh, but yeah, Leicester are in a good position right now. They're having like Napolis Mendy has come back after not playing for two or three seasons. They've been really, really good. And their, their new center back from San Etienne, uh, Wesley Fofana, he's been really, really good. Uh, kind of a surprise. Most of their signings seem to be, kind of hitting the ground running with him and uh, uh, Timothy Castagna. Um, so, yeah, it's nice to see smaller teams, I guess I, I could say, smaller teams doing this well. Um, and, yeah, they're both up in the in the top half of the table. So very, very nice to see. Uh, Aiden, what do you think about this one? Yeah, it just impresses me how they just keep getting results week on week. And I, I wasn't expecting it after they really fell off after lockdown, but Credit to Brandon Rogers. He must be a very good coach because no matter the players that they plug in, they always seem to get results. And they're we know James Justin is good, but they're playing with the two youth products at wingback, Justin and Thomas, and they both play really, really well. And yeah, all their signings, their recruitment is really good, like you were touching on. So that's good. And yeah, I don't know. I just it's like every team, and I just keep saying it every week, but I'm just interested to see how far the run can go and and how long, because we've just seen so much inconsistency. But Leicester, they haven't drawn any games this season, so that's a big factor. And, yeah, you're right with the penalties. Uh, if that was someone like Bruno, if it, with Vardy's record, it would definitely be talked about quite a lot. But that's okay. I, I like Vardy, so we, we can just leave it at that. And other than that, Leicester, big game coming up against Liverpool after the break. So I'm excited to see that one, and I'm really going to be cheering for Leicester. What do you think, Jack? Yep, I, I completely agree with you. Just want to add Blaster on 18 points in first place and at the top of the table. So, like you said, Aiden, some big games coming up, and we'll see how they do. I, I know, like all of us, we keep saying this at the end of everything we review each week, but it really is this season because it is so unpredictable. Like, obviously, I don't think we said it as much like at the last, end of last season because we could kind of tell – uh, you, you kind of see a little bit more where the teams are going to finish, but yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. So we'll have to wait. The last game of the Premier League weekend was Arsenal who took on Aston Villa at the Emirates in a game where I didn't, I don't think many people expected this result, even though Villa have been very good so far this season, but Villa come away from the Emirates with a three nil victory over Arsenal. Now, Jake, you didn't see much of this one, but uh, Aiden and I watched it and Villa with an absolutely dominant performance against Arsenal, who after putting in a good shift against United did not 
I don't know if they were tired or they just didn't turn up for this one, but Villa absolutely dominant. What what did you think about this one, Aiden? Yeah, Villa absolutely boss them basically the whole game, I think. And like we were talking about in the other games, uh, another injury with the pack schedule, Thomas having to come off, obviously a big blow to Arsenal. And I'm not a fan of Arsenal, obviously, but I hope he's okay because he's a wonderful player to watch and a, and a top uh, midfielder in the league. But as for the game, there was just many individual performances on Villa that you could speak about. Uh, start on the back, Matty Cash and Target and, I thought Ming, all three of those players were really, really good. And then you move into the the midfield and both McGinn and, and Louise were very good. Uh, McGinn having his goal ruled out right at the beginning. Do you guys think that that should have been ruled out? I think that it was a, it should have stood. Well, it's just, it just depends on the, the rules. Like, again, it's just one of those where technically if he's interfering with the goalkeeper or the goalkeeper's line of sight, it has to be ruled out. And I think everybody, including Arsenal fans would agree. He's not saving it either way, but mm-hmm. just, yeah, it's just, it's just one of those gray area rules, but. Mm-hmm, for sure. The way yeah. I just think about it is just go on, Jake. No, I was just going to say, I was, I was really disappointed to see it rolled out because he, he really, smash that one in the back of the corner like like jack said there's no way leno's getting anywhere close to it no matter what uh and yeah i i like Villa. i don't like arsenal so i was disappointed i got ruled out um i could kind of see why because from the one angle it looked like leno's view was was blocked but uh but he didn't complain and the arsenal players complained uh he didn't you know he didn't motion that he couldn't see or anything he still put his hand in that direction he just couldn't get there in time so I don't, I don't think uh, it should have been disallowed at all. I was really disappointed with that. Yeah, it's fair enough. I could see it either way. The only thing that I was going to say is it kind of just goes back to like uh, what I was saying like a few weeks ago, but how if there was like more common sense, like I guess it's hard to say because different matches and different situations, like goalies perform differently. Yeah. So you're kind of assuming, but like, for example, like with like pass interference in football, if it's like an uncatchable ball, then it's not pass interference. <laughs> Like if the ball was not savable, then I think that it could have stood, but oh, well, it didn't really have an impact on the game. If it would have had an impact on the game, uh, could have been worse. And obviously Villa got away with one last season with Nyland. So uh, yeah, maybe this is, their, this is their payback right here. Yeah. And it didn't hurt them. But as for the rest of the game, yeah, uh, I'll turn it over to Jack soon, but just Grealish and Barkley were just running the show. They were just bossing it completely and, Arsenal just didn't look like they were had enough energy and they were really up to the task. And I just, for my own guilty pleasure, I just went after to some Arsenal fan channels and a lot of them were very upset with Arteta and not happy about his formation uh, playing three at the back. They're questioning that. And then, and then William, which obviously shows a bit of fickle fans as we all are, because one week yeah. they're just raving over them. And then the next week they're, they're not sure about them, but I, I don't think he really, he just stayed with his tactics that have been working for him. So I can't blame him. But then again, Arsenal aren't really scoring a lot of goals this season. So I would be concerned if I was an Arsenal fan and a lot of the, the uh, Arsenal fans were calling for more creativity in the midfield Uh someone to link link up to the forwards and then other than that just the one big chance for Arsenal was the Lacazette header that he uh, missed a lot of Arsenal fans were upset that that he uh, didn't score that header 
Um, but honestly, I don't think Lacazette's that great of a striker. He's not very clinical, and that's why at such a young age, someone like Nketch is able to challenge him for so many minutes. Is he is obviously not that impressive. Um, but yeah, I, <laughs> I don't want to say too much about Arsenal and, and keep raving on, but they are like kind of the, the bigger club, but it should be said Villa were much, much better than them and they fully deserve the win. And it was very enjoyable to just watch them smashing Arsenal's door down for like the last 20 to 30 minutes. Uh, what do you think, Jack? <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't really like you guys obviously dislike Arsenal a lot. I, I, I like Arsenal um, as, as an Everton fan, but in this one, like, I was watching and a lot of it had to do, it looked like fatigue from, uh, from, from the Europa league. But as soon as they lost Thomas Partey, even before they lost them, they didn't really look like they were in control of this game at all. Like you said, Lacazette with the one chance for the header. How do you, how do you not score that? Like I'm telling you now, Arteta, just, just put Aubameyang in the middle. Stop chucking him out wide. Just put him in the middle. He's scoring those 10 times out of 10. Um, just push Bakayo Saka up and put somebody else out wide. I, I don't know. Arteta just needs to stop throwing Aubameyang out on the left wing there because he's going to score if he gets any of Lacazette's chances. Uh, and he is one of the most clinical players in the world. So I don't understand just trying to utilize him out, out wide. And I know that earlier on in the season, we were seeing the patterns of play with Arsenal breaking on the counter and then isolating Aubameyang in the in the space by the top of the 18 where he could just curl, curl it to the far post and score every single time. But it looks like teams are, are setting up. So they're not allowing that to happen. So if that's the case, just throw Aubameyang back, throw him back in the middle where, you know, he's going to score the half chances. Even if Arsenal aren't the most creative, he's still going to score the half chances that Lacazette doesn't. Uh, but from, I, I want to focus on Aston Villa here because they're one of the most likable teams in the league, in my opinion, like, their team is has perfect balance to it. And I hope that they don't get a ton of injuries um, because it really is enjoyable to watch them. Like you guys said, Grealish and Barkley linking up two players who can both really carry the ball and have a lot of energy. But especially in this game, like we all know how good Jack Grealish is. But, dude, he's still underrated. Jack Grealish is still underrated, even though everybody thinks he's amazing. Like He's such a good player. And then you see the likes of Ross Barkley, who finally getting a consistent run of games, which he never got at Chelsea. Um, you can see his ability to just hold hold on to the ball, run with the ball. And especially for the first goal, it was an absolute joke, just Grealish and Barkley working it out wide before before crossing it, um, crossing it over for, uh, for Trezeguet, which happened to be a own goal for Kyle Saka, but either way, there was going to be a goal from Trezeguet, if not, but, and then even you see some of the other ones for, for Watkins, I think it was, it was, uh, I think it was uh, Louise, Douglas Louise, just crossing it out wide and the cross coming in first time and Watkins sticking it in and just really good stuff. Like some of those goals were so good. And Villa, there's just a really good team. And I, I just like, like almost every single player in their team. I really, really enjoy watching. It just, it's just a matter. They don't really have any depth and haven't had any injury problems so far, but they were absolutely amazing. Uh, amazing to watch. Like, what, what did you think of, uh, what did you think of their attacking performance? Aiden, just anything else to add? No, it's just beautiful. Yeah. I didn't really go into the goals, but 
Yeah, that one goal where Louise put it over the top and then the first time Peach from Barkley right across the goal, right onto Watkins' head. And then I was really impressed and he's been impressing. I know you touched him in a few weeks ago on the podcast, Jack. He's been impressing throughout the season, but this game I was really impressed with Maddie Cash. Uh, he was just kind of winning many tackles up against Aubameyang and moving the ball forward. So I really like his performance. And I think he's just a really solid all-around player that doesn't get enough eyeballs on him yet, but he will soon. And yeah, I just, I just, like you said, hopefully they, they don't get injuries, which is unlikely during this kind of condensed season because their squad is is very, very thin and it's a big drop off to the, the bench when you have players like Grealish and Barkley, and then you're going down and McGinn even and Douglas Louise, and you're going down to like Al Ghazi, Al Mohammadi, Keenan Davis, Hurahan, that's a big drop off. Um, but yeah, I think it's safe to say, I don't want to speak for you guys, but Villa is probably the second favorite team for all of us on the podcast. They're like the, the podcast flagship team now. Yes, they definitely are. I would also like to point out once again for our, for our Premier League prediction, uh, for our table prediction, I predicted them to come 18th, but that, again, I've said this five times, but that was before they made all of their signings. And uh, I also, I remember criticizing Dean Smith on that. So I, I have to pay Dean Smith some respect because uh, with with these signings and everybody that they brought in, he's got a tune out of them so far and they've looked really, really strong every game. And like you said, Aiden, they're definitely all, all three of us, our second favorite team that we're, we're cheering for. And I definitely have a soft spot for Villa because Villa, they are a massive club and although they've, They've struggled in, in recent years. They're a Premier League club, and they've got a they've got a ton of history. They're they're similar size club to Everton, so it's good to see them uh, in the Premier League and, and succeeding at this point in time. Arsenal, I it was a strange one. It really will be important to see how Arsenal bounce back from this one uh, after the international break. They take on Leeds at Ellen Road, at Ellen Road. Sorry. Um, which is a very tough game for them, but they're, they're going to have to respond because that was not a good performance from them. Uh, Jake, do you have any last thoughts on this? Yeah, um, just like you, you guys were obviously spot on with everything you said. Uh, no surprise there. But yeah, Aston Villa, very good. Off- no problem. Aston Villa, very good offensively. <clears throat> and like Aiden mentioned, defensively too. Like I Last season, obviously, we, we didn't have the podcast running for the whole season, but I was... It was like Fulham this season. I just got infuriated at how they would defend. It would just make me so angry. Uh, but yeah, they have rectified it this season with the same back line. So you'd have to credit Dean Smith and his coaches for that. Uh, Tyrone Mings and uh, Ezri Kanza, who I really like. They've both been really good this season. Mings has scored twice. So he's a threat uh, going forward as well. Like you said, Aiden, Matty Cash, very well. Matt Target, again, another player I wasn't a big fan of, but he's, he's I won't say he's proven me wrong yet, but he's playing very, very well so far this season. Uh, and yeah, like Aston Villa's midfield three, that's a very good midfield. It might be like top eight in the league. Um, and yeah, Grealish, probably my the player who I'd put second or third for the the best player in the Premier League outside the top six, um, which was a question we answered a couple episodes ago. Uh, but yeah, just a couple stats here for Aston Villa. They have on average the third most goals per game in Europe behind Bayern Munich and PSG and tied with Atalanta, which is impressive. And uh, there's an algorithm that cal- that calculates um, 
the best team in Europe based on, you know, points, uh, performances, goals, assists, XG, all that kind of stuff. And Aston Villa are actually top of that ahead of Bayern and, and PSG and all those teams, which is kind of, kind of crazy. I mean, Aston Villa fans must be loving it right now. Um, and yeah, just, just uh, like the first goal was beautiful play, just uh, Grealish, Barkley and target, keeping the ball in Arsenal's corner, sorry, in Arsenal's corner and working it around them and, uh, until eventually target get, could get his cross. And uh, I was very excited when I thought Trezeguet scored because he's the, the FIFA 20 club legend for me, but um, it was given as a sack of own goal, but either way, I'm sure Aston Villa will take it. And yeah, they, they really, they, what's the word? They boss Arsenal basically. Um, and just the only thing I think Arsenal could improve is if they want to stick with this back three for every single game, they need to get some players further up the field, like uh, Kieran Tierney. He's probably the best crosser in the squad. I don't know why he's playing left center back. They should just put, you know, William Saliba and give him some minutes. Or if he's not ready, uh, who else do they have? David Luiz when he's back from injury, or or whoever Socrates or. I do think that there's kind of some some modifications they can make there that would work. Um, I don't think Socrates actually. I think he was left out of the Premier League squad. But either way, uh, just just some changes like that. Saka get get him further up the field, play him in the front three with Aubameyang and and Willian or whoever else that they want or Pepe. Um, but yeah, not to take anything away from Aston Villa, they were really really good. Uh, kind of a crazy Premier League table right now. Aston Villa all the way up in sixth and. You know, Leeds in 15th, Man United in fifth, in 14th, sorry, Arsenal in 11th and City in 10th. Uh, so it's just just a crazy season here. But the table at this stage, I guess you could say the table doesn't lie. So, um, yeah, very, very good for Massa Villa. And yes, like you like you guys said, very likable team, probably the, sec- the second favorite. Well, definitely my second favorite team in the league, like you guys said. Uh, and yeah, I don't have much else to add about that. Just very nice to see Aston Villa doing so well this season. Yeah, I, I agree with, with everything you've said, Jake. I, I also, this is kind of random, but you, you might agree with me here. I don't know why I just thought of this, but that game, that was, I swear that was the first game I've watched Arsenal play in a very long time where one of their defenders did not go off injured. I swear every single game they play, <laughs> one of their defenders goes off injured. So if Arsenal, have, if Arsenal fans have anything to hold on to, their rock-solid defense has has stayed together even though Partey has has uh has gone off and hopefully he'll be back soon because he's he's fantastic but yeah literally every game I play I swear every game Mustafi plays he goes off injured Bellerin always gets injured it's it's ridiculous but yeah we'll have to wait and see and like I said they're playing Leeds after the international break and that's a huge game for for Arsenal against a, a tough tough uh, lead side that that's definitely going to make things difficult and with Bielsa you know he's going to do his background research um, to a T on Arsenal's weaknesses and and really try to exploit them so it's going to be an important test for Arteta's side there the last game that we'll cover is the main one for for our two teams Everton playing Manchester United losing three to one against a team who played on the Wednesday and then had to play again on the Saturday in what can be described in a game where Everton, for some reason, just let Bruno Fernandes just do whatever he wanted for 90 minutes and lost the game because obviously that's going to happen if you just don't follow him or, or literally just don't don't try to stop Bruno Fernandes at all. But uh, I'll, 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 
I'll say some stuff. I'll let you guys go first because you uh, you'll be a lot happier than I am. So I've got a lot, I've still got a lot to say on this. But Jake, what what are your initial thoughts on this? I'm glad you're going last. I want to make sure we end the pod on the positive note. Um, but yeah, just right before the game, I was kind of you sent us a message. I think it was the day before about how Holgate would be starting, uh, and I was kind of surprised by that just because having been out injured for so long, uh, I wasn't sure if he'd be ready. But clearly. He was since he started. And what's that, Jack? Didn't look like he was ready, but continue. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, that was coming up later. Um, and yeah, Gilfie Sigurdsson starting again. Uh, obviously, Everton don't have that many options in there, but I wasn't impressed with that uh, at all. I don't. I don't think Jack was either, judging by his reaction here. Um, and United, Mata and Martial back starting, so. It was, I mean, Martial right straight back in as soon as his red card's over. Uh, they had an industrious midfield behind them. As we're getting used to, Pogba on the bench again, which is perfectly fine with me, to be honest. And just quickly, I think I said last week, Martial scores every single time he plays Everton. Well, trust me, he did not do anything this game. Um, so I guess something for Everton fans to hold on to. Uh, it's almost as good as the three points, but no, once again, <laughs> well, sorry, Jack. Once the game was kicked off, I think United kind of started with intent and purpose, but then uh, Everton did reverse it pretty quickly. Uh, obviously, at the, like I just said, United had a lot of possession in the first couple of minutes. But again, like it's only five, six, seven minutes in, so it's not necessarily indicative of what was to come. Um, but it did. Uh, like I said, Martial had a big chance missed. Um I think he missed an A, dragged it wide with his left foot, if I remember properly. Uh, and Rashford kind of flubbed the shot like like Virgil van Dijk. I was kind of, when when Origi scored against Everton, so I was just kind of interested to see if that was going to have the same end result, but it didn't. But, yeah, just United missing a couple of chances early on. Uh, and, yeah, Bernard's goal at the near post. Uh, I'm sure most people thought he was shaping up to play the far post. It was a great disguise. And finished uh, through the legs of Juan Bissaka, I believe, in the bottom corner. Uh, De Gea no chance to get there. No blame uh, can be put on De Gea. Um, and really, the goal came, I think it was from a long ball from Pickford, uh, right to Calvert-Lewin, who jumped Lindelof and, and it sent it to Bernard, which is kind of a theme. Uh, Calvert-Lewin kind of glued himself to Lindelof as much as he could uh, because he knew he would get joy against him. Uh, on that note, though, Marce- or not Martial, sorry, Maguire played very well. He dealt with the threat, uh, like I said, very well. And then uh, Everton were not in the lead for too long. Uh, Bruno just scored a great header. There was a nice buildup around the box, which, again, not something we're always used to with United. It's kind of hit, hit and miss. Luke Shaw did well. He was really patient, put in a nice cross. Uh, but for that goal, I was kind of critical of Keane and Holgate. Keane, not so much because the ball was kind of over his head. But Holgate could see what was going on the whole time. He could see Bruno darting into the space and he could see where the ball was going and he just didn't do anything to close it down. He kind of just stood there. Um, of course, not complaining. Very happy with it. For me, anyway. Uh, after, I think Lucas Dean hit the woodwork not too long after. Uh, I don't think that was probably the best decision he could have made. I think he probably could have put it in the box. You saw Calvert-Lewin was absolutely furious with him. Um, but yeah, I chose the wrong option there. Uh, James, I, he, I think I'm, I don't know. I think he wasn't involved at all. I'm not going to blame him for it. He just came back from an injury as uh, Aiden pointed out to me during the game. I kind of forgot about that. And he was a little isolated too, all the way on the, on the right wing. Um, 
where he really didn't get much of the ball. Um, and yeah, Bruno, uh, as the Jock's favorite type of goal, Bruno scoring a schloss there. Uh, Rashford really should have scored with his head, but it doesn't make a difference to me just off the post and then really lucky. But like, like we saw after the game, when the, the, the reporters asked Bruno about it, he said he doesn't mind if Rashford got a touch on it. He just wants the team to win, which is obviously what most people are going to say, but it's what we like to hear. Um, and yeah, Bruno's two goals. Like I said, at this point, he, he later on assisted Cavani for the third goal uh, on the break in the 95th minute. I think it was Bruno was very good man of the match for sure. Uh, like Jack said, he was at the heart of everything. Everything just really didn't think about <laughs> about having someone watch him. So that was really, really how United won the game. Uh, like I said, Martial uh, individually, I think he was poor. He was he was weak. He was giving the ball away a lot, and he was just snatching at the at the chances that he got. I don't I don't think it was a great game at all from him. Um, Obviously, I'm a big fan of Martial, Martial FC over here. So we're hoping for a, a better performance next time. I won't crucify him for it. Um, and yeah, I don't have too much to say about the rest of it. Um, Pickford made a nice save on Rashford uh, in the second half. De Gea wasn't really tested. Um, and yeah, just Coleman and Bruno had a had a had a rift, I guess you could say, during the whole match. Um, which was just kind of entertaining to follow, even though it didn't really impact the match too much. Um, but yeah, I guess the only other talking point would have been where Maguire should have, in my opinion, had a penalty. Uh, I, I think to be honest, Pickford and Keane fouled him. I think Michael Keane kicked him in the knee and Pickford just kicked across. I don't know if it, if it comes across to you, Jack, to be honest, I don't know if it's just me being a United fan that thought it was a penalty, but, uh, what'd you think about it? So originally when I first saw it, I was like, yeah, it's probably a penalty. And just immediately, like, first of all, you just have to catch that. It's like, it's not that high. I thought you have to catch it, but then I actually yeah. saw videos later. The only reason he didn't catch it and it didn't show they, I don't think they showed it on our, our streams on DAZN here in Canada, but I saw, I saw like the videos of it and Maguire was asked after the game. Uh, there was videos. It was Maguire actually like pushed out at Pickford. And that was the reason he like fumbled it. Cause he had it and then let it go. Maguire actually pushed out at him. Either way, kind of weak goalkeeping, but I can yeah. see like why he he mishandled it. If you're if any goalkeepers off balance and they get shoved, obviously they're they're going to struggle to hold on to it. And Maguire after the game said it wasn't a penalty. Obviously, obviously you're going to try to go for it during the game, but um, yeah, originally thought it was, but then after seeing the the videos of of Maguire like pushing Pickford, that was why he dropped it. So. I think it's fair. Either way, let's let's be honest. The, the the major talking point about that is Jordan Pickford is still super erratic and prone to potential mistakes that can be controversial. So yeah, so I did see the the low push from Maguire in real time. I was just decided to ignore it and hope uh, you know we get the penalty because we know they have a reputation from last season for winning penalties. Um, but yeah, that was all I had to say. Aiden, what'd you think about it? Well, you covered many of the main points of the game for me. I just think that. A little bit more of the credit for the performance has to go to uh, Fred and McTominay. Fred was excellent in the game. Uh, I wouldn't say completely won, but I think he allowed United to edge out the midfield battle a bit, just using his energy and tackling back three or four times in a row on uh, Allen and Ducore. Uh I really like Allen, but 
I just think he's a bit older and he obviously is still a good player. I just think Fred has a bit more legs at this time. So hopefully Fred can continue those type of performances. Usually all the big results that United get these days are, like you said, with Pogba on the bench and with Fred and McTominay in the midfield. And I don't really think that either of them can play without each other. They, Fred isn't really like a true number six and neither is McTominay. They both kind of work together um, in some fashion. And other than that, I think that uh, I, personally, I think that Wambasaka should have done better, like just for the caliber of defending we know and how he always blocks things. It was a good disguise by Bernard, but I still think Wambasaka should have should have been able to block it if he had his eyes fixed on the ball. But that's okay. I'm kind of a stickler for defending sometimes, and it was good play from Pickford uh, showed his kicking accuracy up to Calvert Lewin for that goal. And then obviously uh, Bruno with all the goal contributions, like you mentioned. To be honest, though, going forward, I thought like the only real threats were were him and Rashford that looked like they would score. Uh, I didn't really think that like Matt or Martial would be able to get a goal, but Rashford, uh, like we see a lot of times, he is he is able to his pace and his positioning like does get him into positioning or position, sorry, but he does need to still work on his end product a little bit more. And we saw that when he fired his low shot and Pickford saved it with the feet. Uh, like if someone was, was a number nine, like a clinical goal, goal scorer like Michael Owen, he would have wanted the head up and to pick the corner, something like that. Um, I thought Everton were decent at, at kind of isolating United's fullbacks at time. And, I think for me, their main threats actually came from Dean and, and Coleman was getting forward quite a, quite a little bit. He had one time where he was just barreling down the right side and he started stumbling when he could have got a shot away, I think. Um, but uh, honestly, I thought it was a really entertaining game that I wasn't expecting from these two teams. And there was a lot of uh, kind of, in this day and age, it was a physical game. It wasn't that physical, but there was a lot of like niggly fouls and, and contesting the ball, which... I'll be honest with United, you don't see a lot of fight from their players. So maybe it was because Ole's job was really on the line. But I, I think that he put out a team that he could really trust with McTominay, Fred. That's why Pogba was on the bench. We've seen this with other managers. Mourinho can't really trust him to be playing when your job's on the line because he doesn't have very much work rate whatsoever. And then uh, Mata, he... he I don't really like playing on the right, as I just said last week with the Bishek Shahir game. I don't really think he offers too much tracking back and physicality, but he is good around the edge of the area, keeping possession. He doesn't really give the ball away too many times if he's in the right positions. Um, but I'm, I'm just sad. I don't even think he played that well. He had a great cross for the Fernandez goal, but two assists in two games for Shaw. But it, it, it looks great, but it's really just two assists in 40 games for Shaw, so it's not that impressive. But I was sad for I was sad for him to uh, to go off injured with with the fixture pile up and him getting the muscle injuries. And I, I think it would have been a lot different game. I'll be give credit to Everton if they did have um, some of their players, their main players like Holgate and Rodriguez, if they would have had a run of games going into this game. Because Rodriguez, he just wasn't up to the pace. It didn't really look like it right now. And I don't know if they have any more money in the transfer kitty, but the last thing that I'll say is that I think that they need to find some sort of other winger so that they can convert Rodriguez to number 10 or like find a third midfielder besides Sigurdsson uh, because Sigurdsson his, his like what he's supposed to be is kind of like 
have quality, I think, in technical play on the ball, but he's just taking free kicks and just hitting the first man and corners. And I've seen that from United players over the years. And it's really, really frustrating when that's supposed to be a very good technical player. But happy with the result and just consistency is the name of the game like every team right now. And United really need to find that. Yeah, I think it was a it was a good, definitely a really good result from United, who are doing really, really well away from home. From Everton's perspective, it is frustrating. You know, they had a week to prepare for this game, and and like you said, Aiden, like the only threats that United have, obviously Martial is a threat specifically coming off of his record against Everton. I always think he was gonna, I always think he's gonna score, and I thought he definitely should have scored with that, with the ball over the top, with that that miss miss kick for a clearance. Um, but yeah, you know, we're definitely the better team. It's just frustrating that, you know, they have a week to prepare and they don't, don't uh, take advantage of it, but just go through some of the, some of the plays in this game. Like, you know, I had scored three goals and the, the last one I'll say like Cavani gets his, his goal for United. That one obviously comes on the break when Everton are looking to really uh, push at the end of the game, but the other two goals, like, the first one, it just like Luke Shaw. I think I said it last week. When you watch Luke Shaw play, he takes like three touches and then cuts back and either just passes it sideways or backwards. And he literally took a little touch. And I was just waiting like, Seamus Coleman, are you just going to go out and close him down? Or are you just going to let him cross it in? Uh, I was just waiting for him to close it down. And, and then obviously Bruno, that was a fantastic header, by the way. A good cross in the box. I think, Jake, you said you put the blame on Holgate. I, I watched it the other way around because from what I saw, Holgate was going with Martial, and he had Martial, but Keane looks over, sees Bruno, and just says, yeah, he's fine. Just leaves him. Like, what are you doing? There's nobody else in the box besides Martial. So frustrating from a defensive perspective and thinking, like, Keane has not – he just marks the space. He just needs to go over to Bruno and just mark him. He'll win the header but just lets him go great cross in that should have been closed down and really good header. Pickford has no chance of saving that really good header from Bruno. And then even the second goal, just waiting for us to close, close down the ball. Just Bruno, great little dink over the top. Pickford kind of confused because he has to react late, but uh, it does. Yeah. It just, just goes a little bit too high for Rashford and, and goes in, but then again, like just follow Rashford's run. Like, what are you doing from a defensive perspective? And from from the shape of the team, like we know how Bruno, if he if he gets into space, he's going to dictate any game because he's a fantastic player. In this one, and I'll get onto Gilfie Sigurdsson in a sec, but oh wow, he's awful. But uh, the the structure of the team. I said last week we should just sit back against United, sit back and then go and, and try to and try to uh, play more on the counter. And in this one, it was weird. It was like a, it was like the center, like the, the back four for Everton were dropping really deep, but not with the midfield. And then Bruno was just having all of this space to do whatever he wanted. And we saw on multiple occasions when Bruno got the ball on the turn, there was no center back to go with them. They just dropped off and then he was able to do whatever. So it's just, just waiting to be punished for, for that. If you're just going to let a player of his quality do whatever he wants, which just frustrating. And, but I think a lot of that has to do with, like you said, you mentioned it, Aiden, and I'm happy you mentioned it because it means it's not just obvious to Everton fans. But I would like to remind everybody that Gilfie Sigurdsson cost fifty million. 
50 million for that guy. Like what an awful signing. And essentially because he doesn't do anything, you just watch him. He doesn't do anything in the game. Doesn't tackle, doesn't shoot, can't pass, can't dribble. His first touch is absolutely shocking. When you watch it, he can't receive a ball on the turn, literally can't do anything. So we're essentially at this point, I didn't think he was that bad. We're essentially just playing with two, two center midfielders and Allen's not the quickest, and he still made a ton of tackles in this game. Allen and Decore, Decore, who's meant to be the one to break forward. Both of them look like they're trying to compensate for, for Gilfie Sigurdsson. Just like the the shape of the midfield is all over the place. But sorry, what I'm hearing here is Gilfie Sigurdsson is basically a Sunday league player, a 50 million Sunday league player. He there might score a free kick for you because he hasn't done it for Everton yet, but he might do it at Sunday league. Like this, it's just he still hasn't scored a free kick. Obviously. Scored one in preseason. It, that doesn't matter. Oh, yeah, it doesn't Luton count. Town. You, you, like, who cares? You, before you go on, Jack, you know, it's weird. Is like, for me, the perfect player that Everton could, like, I mean, it's hard to say without seeing him in the team, but, like, a very good fit, I feel, for the Everton team is sitting on United's bench, like, every week. Van de Beek, I feel like he'd be very good in Everton's team. Just picking up Literally, little pockets of space. Very good technically, and he just – Yeah, very smart. Yeah, very smart just, player and complimenting Alan to Decore, but that's just me. Yeah, well, like, we literally just need anybody in there except Gilfie Sigurdsson and Andre Gomez. Like, I like Andre Gomez. He seems like a good guy. He doesn't do I, – I know I'm going on a rant here. It's probably not the best to listen to. But the, these two guys don't do anything. Like, they honestly – statistically, and you can say, oh, the eye test or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But statistically, you look at them statistically, they do absolutely yeah. nothing. I'm just going to say another thing, Gilfie Sigurdsson, get off of the free kicks and set pieces. You've got James Rodriguez, who's definitely still injured because he injured his, his testicles and he's still not fit from that. From a couple is that actually ago. what it is? That is what it is. And he's definitely not <laughs> recovered. He hasn't recovered because he's just kind of walking around. He's also probably disappointed that he made the transfer to Everton right now because look at this, look at these midfielders that he has to play with. But like Gilfie Sigurdsson, if I if I have any advice to Carlo, besides drop Gilfie Sigurdsson and just put like Mason Holgate in defensive mid, and I'll get on to him in a sec. But just James Rodriguez takes all set pieces from now on. Don't like James Rodriguez on one leg is better than Gilfie Sigurdsson. Gilfie does nothing. So and or um, Dean, we just. Or Dean, just not guilty, just not effective in any way. And he might be a good, seems like a good guy and obviously works. He, he's not lazy or anything. He's literally just, the legs are gone. And his his skill set is to, like, he's supposed to be good at shooting the ball and striking the ball. And none of that is is uh, is showing up, just super ineffective. And we're playing with two, uh, two other midfielders who, Alan, who I thought originally was a player that all he does is screen the back four, but you can definitely tell that he's trying, he's more of like an energetic type player that wants to, wants to get forward. Although he does have great defensive work ethic. And if we can just get somebody in, uh, I know I mentioned him 50 times on this podcast, but Gabamin, even, uh, even though he's coming back from a long-term injury, uh, if he can just screen the back four, just sit there. So Alan and Decore have all the energy to run forward and just, be industrious and, and break up the play. At least we have some sort of shape because that was that that screening was non-existent on, on the weekend. Like Bruno ran the show. Um, 
And uh, yeah, just playing with a midfielder down essentially is just super, super frustrating. And then, like, like you guys said, it looked like Hamas, it looks like he's, he was still uh, not, not fully fit, not sharp, but it's, it's time to just, let's put him. If you're going to play a midfield three, Alan DeCore and, and Hamas or get, just put those three, put Hamas in the middle, have Alan and DeCore stay back. And then, uh, I don't know. You could put Awobi, who I thought was really bright, put him at wide because he's good for the link-up play. But Hamas obviously isn't going to offer anything defensively. And I think we've been uh, – I think Everton have been found out a little bit in the sense that you can kind of attack that side and, and he's not going to track back because that's just not the type of player he is. But um, And then also Mason Holgate, even though he is a very – he is like – like uh, he is Carlo's number one choice for center back. And I just don't think like this was not the game to introduce him. Like, why can't we just wait and just throw him in against Fulham? Now I yeah. said this, we're going to get smashed. We're going to get smashed by Fulham. Now that I said this, but that would be absolutely who, disgraceful. Who would you have rathered? Cause Mina was shipping the goals. Who would you have met rathered Mina or Godfrey for this match? For this one, it, it depends on the setup, but I do know if there is a header in the box that needs to be cleared, Yeri Mina will do whatever it takes to try to get on the end of that. So, and he loves a header, so probably Yeri Mina. But with uh, there wasn't a lot, of, there wasn't a ton of space in behind um, from Everton. It was more of the space between the midfield and the defense that Bruno and Rashford were kind of operating, and that was that was the main problem. But I just overall like Holgate is the number one choice, but just I don't know. Uh, just he he was very rusty. He was like him and Michael Keane. Michael Keane, who has been very consistent this season, maybe he thought he was still a Manchester United player because he was absolutely shocking in this game. But we'll take uh, it. Not a good result. Very frustrating. Um, couple couple more things here that I want to touch on for Everton. Just when you compare the substitutions. So Man United bring on Paul Pogba and Edinson Cavani, which is that's strong by any team in the world. Like that's not just United like that across the board. If any team can bring those guys off the bench, that's really good. Everton bring on Alex Awobi, who was very good. In my opinion, I thought he made things happen in the final third with the link up and Jank Tosin, who this guy, how like Aiden, you mentioned it. What was the passing from this guy? What was the passing percentage? If you had to take a guess, I'd probably like forty or fifty percent. Like he was just spraying was... it around the field, like behind people, like simple passes where they're wide open. And I just don't understand what he's. I was saying to Jake, I th- was this game or another game he came on, but like I just don't know what he's good at, other than being like being a target man who's not even that tall, like Calvert Lewin. I don't know what he's good at. It just this just gave me flashbacks in in this game because like Jenk obviously he's coming back from a long term injury and this what I'm about to say is not his fault but uh, Sam Allardyce was the one who bought him so obviously you can't trust that man with transfers like what are you doing giving that man any money Sam Allardyce like this guy just winds up everybody. But the thing that kind of frustrates me every time I watch Jenk Tosin play these days is the fact that Allardyce was interviewed about the striking options that he could have brought to Everton at the time. And he had the option of two players. He had uh, Jenk Tosin from Besiktas, and he had uh, a striker called Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang from Borussia Dortmund and decided to go with 
Jank Tosin. So like every time I see Tosin <laughs> just kind of giving the ball away on the field, that's just wish that we had somebody like Obamiang. It's just really disappointing and to to kind of not rant as much. It just shows the the true lack of depth that we have this season and um yeah. they're ready. And also the fact that Richarlison has proved to be the most he might not like Ham is is the best player at the club, but Richarlison is obviously the most influential player at the club because we have not won any games that he hasn't played for Everton. Um, and I hope, and it really bothers me that he made that tackle now, uh, but he comes back against Fulham. Hopefully the team comes back fully fit. Um, and, and then we can just absolutely smash Fulham and, and, and carry on with the season. But yeah, uh, very, yeah. While you were talking there, I Googled Cenk Tosin's stats. Uh, his past completion percentage for the season is 65%, um, which is not that great. And this is on from whoscore.com. I just thought this was funny. This is not related to what we're talking about. But for Cenk Tosin, they ha- the striker, they have his weaknesses listed as finishing. So I just thought that was hilarious. Yeah, it's it's also just a lack of mobility and first touch and and – passing and heading and shooting he just he doesn't do it it's not a slight to him it's not his fault that he's like not what we need it's shocking recruitment from the club out of the dark days of of Allardyce and Steve Walsh and Ronald Koeman oh my gosh but not an overreaction just a really disappointing result and just completely Everton we're we're back down to earth boys we're no longer top of the league (laughs) We're back to competing. There's still a chance, though. We don't have European football. There's so, hopefully a chance that we can still uh, still finish high up the table, try to get, like, sixth, sixth spot, try to get into the Europa League or potentially Champions League if we get some huge, huge luck. But, Aiden, what were you going to say? I was just going to say now you've kind of had the, the highs of the season and the lows of the season kind of back-to-back here in, in a few few games there. So I was going to ask, what are you expecting or what do you, and I guess juxtapose that with what do you think is the expectation for the end of the season or just maybe even for Christmas time? Like to be in the table kind of thing. Yeah. I think the expectation, I'm not sure about Christmas. Yeah. I think the expectation is to get into Europe, whether that be champions league or Europa league, obviously there was the fans and we said this on the podcast before and it was, it was, stupid the fans and media saying can Everton mount a title challenge which was never going to happen I don't know who who was thinking that but especially when you see Cenk on the field like think that guy's winning a Premier League like get out of here but uh to to qualify for Euro uh for the Europa League or Champions League potentially that would take a lot of luck but I think Europa League is is the the expectation and obviously get get uh with international we've really missed them but um also, the last thing I'll say is that Anthony Gordon's the most like-for-like like replacement for Charleston and didn't even get on the bench in this one when I thought that he should be at least all of that development because he's definitely a player who at the U23 level is far too good and he's shown uh, in glimpses and he's taken his opportunity and done a lot more than other players within the squad so far this season in the cup games and, and that sort of thing. So we'll have to, we'll have to watch out for that, but hopefully, 
hopefully he gets his chance. But yeah, disappointing result for Everton. Really good one for Manchester United. And uh, yeah, so now we have the we have the international break. Who are uh, Man United playing after the international break? West Brom, I think. Yeah, West Brom. Saturday oh, there at we 10 go. So next, next time we do the podcast, we, we should all be in good moods. But now that I've just been uh, kind of picking on Adam Ola Lookman's penalty, he's going to score 10 goals and we're going to lose against Fulham. But hopefully not. Um, I don't really have anything else left to say. Um, other than we don't have any questions this week, but we want everybody listening to get involved. Uh, follow us on Twitter at OTL Soccer Pod. Uh, you can send us questions there. You can also send in questions to our email. Uh, the emails OTL Soccer Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, do you guys have anything else to add? Last thoughts? Nothing from me. Nope. No, not too much. Just international break. Like, just going on the consistency theme that we've kind of been running over with the past few weeks is that teams could probably go on a big run after this, uh, this break. So hopefully it can be a time for some players to rest and Jake and I are just praying that United can go on one of those big runs that Solskjaer is famous for when his job is on the brink or when people are doubting him. (laughs) That's it. I I did for, I did forget to mention that last podcast. So, um, I, I don't know how I didn't mention it, but anytime Solskjaer, Solskjaer is just on the brink or seems to be on the brink, he will come up with a win no matter what, literally no matter what. I don't think he's ever going to be fired, ever. He's going to gonna be, win. To be fair, I think you did mention it. I think you did. did I think I? you said. Okay, yeah, sweet. I think you said since he's like on the hot seat, he's playing Everton, they're definitely going to win. Okay, sweet. I just wanted to make sure I, I, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I made that point again because, yeah, Solskjaer, just, just when you think he's out, he's never, he's never out. There you go. <laughs> so, yeah, there we go. Uh, I just want to say thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back after the international break to review the next set of games. So thank you. Thanks. Bye.